Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Grid is for Squares. Well, it's that um, tone that everyone has in 2020. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Hanging in there is about the best <laughs> you can hope there, for. Popular response. Um, but hi, thanks for tuning in. Um, thanks for just being who you are. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with it. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with the world. It's hard, man. Uh, real quick, as usual, what are we smoking today? Right now we're smoking a salad. We've salad. got a jackpot on top. I think there's an indica in there and maybe a half-licked bowl from last night. Uh, we got it. We got to re-up. I'm going to go to the dispensary tomorrow for the first time. Yeah. It's actually kind of exciting. Oh, yeah. You've never been to a dispensary before, have you? Not in California. I have in Colorado. A legal state right. and everything. And Washington. We went together. Right. right. But um, not in my own state. Yeah. So that's that. Uh, uh, we didn't post an episode last week. We did not. Um, it just didn't feel like the right time to talk about our shit, you know, to amplify our voices um, when we're like finally as a whole culture, apparently now having a reckoning about racial justice. Yeah. For those of you who are listening to this much later, uh, for some context, it was Black Tuesday, Blackout Tuesday, I'm sorry, last Tuesday because Black Tuesday was already taken. Yeah, but even if it hadn't been on Tuesday, I just don't think that last week in general was the appropriate time to post a new episode. I think we needed to take that moment to all take a breath and just listen to what black people had to say for fucking once. Um, but it has only been a week since last week since we didn't post an episode. Is now the time? I mean... It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's been seven days since our last, you know, we skipped an episode. Um, it's a marathon that black people have been forced to run for hundreds of years and that we as white allies have only recently jumped into, started running. Um, so every time I feel sort of exhausted, I try to remember how much more exhausted every black person is because they've been dealing with this shit whether they wanted to or not for their entire lives and like and, generational trauma and we you know we feel so indignant but it's just like you said it's it's a very recent trauma for us we got to to grow up pretty privileged and sheltered you know we do a unit on the civil rights movement right um but which has been so whitewashed for Amer like white oh american God, yeah, students and audiences, i mean I'm, yeah. I'm, we'll talk about that later too like, but... everybody hated martin luther king jr at the time mm -hmm. like now he's every white person's little hero for you know peaceful demonstrations but like people were fucking pissed people hated him yeah you you can't blame people for destroying property for actually wanting to to give back even a little bit of the violence that's been done to them. But I think it's really important, if you are a person of privilege, to really check your feelings and check that urge to be violent, to be aggressive. And just remember, you know, this has been, you know, something that that black people have had to deal with for, for just hundreds of years. And you're, you're pretty new to the picture. It's good that right. you feel things, but but really, this is... This is the time to listen. Well, and every time I start, you know, sort of getting lost in my feelings of, like, how angering it is or how sad it is or, like, how guilty I feel for not doing more, like, I have to remind myself that those feelings are not helping anybody. All that does is, like, make it about me again and make me the center of it again. And so the whole point is, like, sure, it's okay to feel those feelings, but, like, process them 
with yourself or white people. Don't make those feelings any additional baggage for a black person. And then use them to actually lead to action, to, to fuel you to actually do something. Um, we haven't gone to any protests yet, which has been sort of weighing on me. Because, like, we're, we're even protest people. Like, we've gone to a couple of protests against Donald Trump. We When we lived in Madison, it was uh, during the time that a bunch of people were protesting um, Scott Walker. <laughs> I can't even say his name without gagging. Like union busting. Yeah, exactly. Right um, around Arab springtime. Yeah, and so we lived like a mile from the state capitol. So it was we really... were unemployed. <laughs> yes. So we spent a lot of time like just walking up to the capitol and protesting and walking home. Um, but this time, coronavirus has got me a little bit spooked. Um, and the crackdown. I mean, the the police, the National Guard kind of kept it in check in Madison. You know, I don't remember any acts yeah. of, of That's violence. not what's keeping me from wanting to go. Fear of, fear of the, yeah, fear the riot cops. gear and tear gas and rubber bullets. I mean, it sucks. That shit's happening. That's crazy. I know. It's bananas. But that's the sort of thing where I'm like, I should be there to you be part of it. You should experience that, yeah. I mean, not that I should experience it, but if other people are experiencing it, I should be there to, like, help be part of the shield or whatever. Um, but I've been having a sore throat and a lot of body aches lately, and it's probably nothing. It's probably just stress. But, like, it feels irresponsible to feel under the weather and then go to a protest mm-hmm. during a pandemic. But is that just, like, an excuse I'm giving myself? But again, then I'm just getting lost in my own shit. I'm like, okay, so if that's not what I'm going to do, if I'm not going to go to a protest, doesn't matter why, if it's not happening, what what am I doing instead? So I've been donating money to uh, bail funds and Minneapolis-based food shelters and black action funds, um, trying to have difficult conversations with white family members. Not the ones that are all the way on the other side because it's like that's You'll sort of a pointless them. battle. Yeah. But the ones that are in the middle and want to be good but just don't quite understand the situation yeah or have antiquated ideas of you know what it means to be an ally or what it what it means to be equal right or just like a sort of naive faith in the order and justice of things that authority inherently is just which clearly it is not and i think 2020 has been a really good primer for people Mm -hmm. to see you know, a lot of people who were suspicious or, you know, skeptical on us buying land huh. once oh, coronavirus God. hit, they're like, oh, okay, I can kind of see. Yeah, the not so that. crazy and now. This huh? idea of, of institutions, and I think, um, you know, people of privilege are, are really susceptible to this. Just assuming that it is an orderly world out there and that you can trust the institutions, that if you work hard, They'll give you a fair shake and right. you'll get what's yours. Right, but that's because just... it was fair for you. It's fair for everybody. And that's just not the reality at all, is it? Nope. It's it's going to expand. It's already kind of continuing into, you know, our, our recognition that authority generally is, is pretty draconian and we don't invest enough in just keeping people safe and healthy in the right. first place such that we have to um, go down this art. So I think the reaction to the reaction you know the the initial reaction being the protesters most of whom were peaceful Mm -hmm. some of whom got violent you know that's that's predictable that's you know society letting off steam what was way more inappropriate was the reaction to the reaction 
Yeah, way to convince people that police brutality isn't real, guys. Oh my god. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Holy shit. So that's kind of been the other the other big whammy in 2020, I think, that's got a lot more people thinking, you know, maybe something is wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe authority is an illusion. Yeah. Maybe we should just try to be better to each other. Everybody. Well, and having the direct comparison of the pandemic is pretty illuminating. Like, we have... I know, this is all shit that everybody's already said on Facebook and Twitter and everything, but what was it? One cop's riot gear could pay for 55 or something, uh, nurse or doctor's PPE. Like, we can't find... More than half of city budgets generally go to the police. Yeah. LA just voted... carefully, but LA's... In LA it does. Um, So, yeah. It's frustrating. We... Vince and I are even, like generally civic-minded, but we have historically tended to focus on other issues. Like, I identify as bi, and the LGBT community is important to me. Um, I work in permaculture, and I'm all about the environment, but those are causes that are close to us and very relevant. Right. And we still have this, like, huge social separation. Right, and, like, people of color don't have a choice whether racism is an issue for them that it, mm-hmm. it is whether they want it to be or not but i also think like we have to keep in mind the intersectionality of all of those things like environmental issues overwhelmingly impact poor and people of color sure black trans women are way more at you know in danger than cis black people you know like every issue even ones that have already been our, you know, pet issues or whatever are compounded by race. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been important for us to take this moment to like, not just be unracist, but anti-racist. For me, it's, it's all about exposure. Um, and you know, what, what we're close to, I mean, it's, it's so crazy that most American cities are still quite racially segregated. Yeah, like, I actually even grew up in Minneapolis. It's been super weird and surreal watching, like, my hometown be the center of all this and, like, watching my city burn um, and knowing that, like, my fellow Minnesotans are on the front lines of, like, making change. Um, But even saying that, like... I didn't grow up in the same Minneapolis as most black people in Minneapolis. I mean, color aside, I grew up in a suburb. So, like, on so many levels, despite growing up, quote, in Minneapolis, like, I didn't. And I didn't have to deal with that shit. You were a suburbs kid. And I was, you know, like you say, not exposed to the realities growing up. Yeah, Minneapolis is pretty segregated, huh? Yeah, I didn't realize that the Minneapolis... I mean, I knew the Minneapolis Police Department was, like, bad, but all police are bad. (laughs) I didn't think that they were, you know, as bad as, like, the LAPD or the NYPD or, you know, whatever. Um, But apparently, they're pretty bad. (laughs) They have an even more than usual history of racism. Um, And, yeah, I grew up in similar um, suburban, you know, well, rural outside of Madison, but very 
very homogenous. Yeah, I mean, Vince and I have talked about this. He's not on social media at all, which I totally understand and respect. Um, And I think there's a lot of stuff about social media that's garbage for your brain and for your soul. Um, But I do think that one of the best things that I've done is intentionally follow a huge wide range of different people on social media and mostly on Instagram and Twitter. Um, A lot of activists, a lot of just like trans people, black people, Mexican, like just all kinds of people. Just, I think it's by intentionally and consistently exposing myself to people who are not like me and who have had different experiences than me, it helps me widen my thoughts about you know what it's like to be somebody else you know it it just sort of normalizes that we're all we all have different experiences and it's important to listen to people who have had different experiences than you yeah um and yeah in case like you're you're still not sure you've been (laughs) listening this whole time and you're wondering kind of which which side of the (laughs) issue we're on it's it's hard to believe that anybody is anybody on the side is on now the other side of, of this issue, but of racism, of you know, suppressing First Amendment rights, <laughs> of militarizing police. Of if anybody's on the other side of that issue, um, there's the door. Please piss off. Yes, for the Please record, in listening. no uncertain terms, here on the Grid is for Squares, we believe that Black lives matter. Yes, Black women's lives, Black men's lives, Black trans lives matter um yeah if you don't agree if us saying that pisses you off you can stop listening please do in fact (laughs) we don't want you part of our journey anyway bye uh oh what was it that they posted that um splishity splosh splish splashity (laughs) by you dead racist in bristol england when they toppled a statue of a slave trader into the ocean splashity by you dead racist yes more of that so all of that said um we can get on to talking about you know what this podcast is normally about our homesteading adventures um but did you know (laughs) but before we talk about our own homesteading did you know that there were a ton of black homesteaders in the great plains in the late 19th century i did not know that um so yeah lincoln signed the homestead act in 1862 um and then took a few years later, uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1866 meant that black families were eligible. So they weren't before? Was it explicit in the in the language of the law? It was, or just... you had to be a citizen, and they hadn't clarified whether black people were yet citizens. In the North and the South. I think so, yeah. I oh, mean, I whatever that. definition of citizen was required to be eligible for the Homesteading Act in any case. Okay, so they, but and as of 1866, they were eligible. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, The the Homesteading Act offered settlers 160 acres of undeveloped land for free. That's a lot of land. Imagine we have 10 acres. Yeah. (laughs) 160 acres of land. I think you had to do like a, you had to pay a little processing fee and then you had to live there for five years. And if you did that, they would give you like the deed. A lot of it was sight unseen. A lot of it was some really inhospitable, Mm -hmm. you know, there, I wouldn't take 160 uh, acres of desert. And then 
like we're getting into issues of appropriation of land from the Native Americans. Because like, where were these 160 acres coming from? How did the U.S. government have the authority to just give away land? Yeah, <sighs> that's sort of how we built our whole empire, isn't it? The land, appropriation, we, slavery, the, suffering. The land we stole from the Native Americans and all the stuff we built and the wealth we accumulated uh, was stolen from slave labor. Woohoo, America! greatest country ever um so i did some research and i found that 3500 black americans successfully obtained land titles from the government nice um so that gave them ownership of about 650,000 acres of prairie land um and if you count like all family members and stuff as many as 15,000 people lived on these homesteads what do you mean prairies? Why why did they concentrate in the prairies, not not out west, do you know? Well, I think it was even harder to farm in the mountains out west than it was in the plains. They were just and I think it was also like moving east to west. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how. Um and yeah, it was like super hard to farm in the harsh and drought prone prairie. Um, but a lot of them were former slaves, so they were badasses and knew how to fucking farm. I bet they taught the white settlers a thing or two. I bet they sure if did. If they ever gave them a chance. Um, there's also uh, modern day, current day black homesteaders that you can uh, read and listen and watch about. Um, for example, the Randall family Shalomstead, which I love that name. <laughs> um, black Arvier's Chronicles um, and a whole channel called Black Off Grid on YouTube. Um, and there's a podcast called The Black Minimalists. Um, so, yeah, if you know of other black homesteaders um, who are doing, you know, podcasts or YouTube series, um, post them to our Facebook or Instagram feed. Yes, please. Um, so, yeah, being an ally is a journey, not a destination. Um, shall we get on to our topic of the day? Oh, I suppose. What do you want to talk about today? Well, the topic of the day is tools, um, so in a way, we've already been talking about it. <laughs> like, you mean the cops? Yeah, <laughs> racists and police apologists are totally tools. Uh, tools of the man. Um, use a tool, don't be a tool. <laughs> use a tool, don't be a tool. Uh, unless you're being a tool for justice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last time we went up to the property, we got to break in a couple new tools, um... Uh, a string trimmer and a mm -hmm. chainsaw. Mm -hmm. I posted some pictures to Instagram a couple weeks ago. They've already seen it then. Yeah, they have the unboxing. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm a Milwaukee man. Uh, all my tools so far are Milwaukee. Um, I'm not, like, necessarily a brand loyalist, but if you're going to start investing in battery packs and tools, it kind of makes sense to make it all the same thing. And Milwaukee has a pretty diverse suite. Um, as I've found now with this string trimmer and chainsaw, um, finally invested in the, the big boy 12 amp hour battery and a nine amp hour. Um, definitely recommend it for the larger tools. But the cool thing is all Milwaukee batteries work with all Milwaukee, Milwaukee tools uh, until you get into the really big stuff. Um, this string trimmer is pretty rad. It's a lot quieter. Um, Amy got to use it, and you never put on earplugs or... No, no, it wasn't loud. No, pretty it quiet, was fine. Right? No, I do wish that I had put on a face mask um, because of the 
sort of the grass that flies up at your face, but also I string trimmed, string trum, uh, some poison oak. <laughs> so then suddenly, like, shrapnel of poison oak is flying up in my face, and I was like, er, should have worn a mask. Hope I don't get poison oak face now. Um, but that was a couple weeks ago, and I haven't, so I think it's fine. But anyway, yes, anyway. it was very quiet, comfortable to use. Um, um, you've never probably held a regular, like, gas-powered string no, trimmer. I've, I've never I've... really held... I've never mowed the lawn, dude. I've mm, never really mm-hmm. used a power tool of any kind. And I've maybe used Plus those... my sewing machine counts. The string trimmer, like, once or twice, um, like a gas-powered one. But it's heavy. It's cumbersome. It smells bad. Um, so it's another reason that I am really into electric tools, uh, especially if you're, you're learning how they're lighter, um... They're just as powerful, but you have a more instantaneous control. Mm. Um, I'll get into this a lot more with the chainsaw, but um, especially with the string trimmer, the fact that you can hear it cutting what you're cutting over the sound of the engine or the motor. Um, You're not belching fumes out um, onto the thing you're cutting. Um, Oh, and the one I got... um, has a a quick lock attachment so it can you can take off the part that makes it a a weed whacker and you can attach a pole saw um one of those things that lets you cut branches off way high up in a tree um comes with a couple attachments so cool sprung the extra whatever 20 bucks to get the the quick lock um it was a good choice um but I tried it out just to make sure it worked. Um, you did most of the string trimming up there. <laughs> I did. Why don't you talk I got kind of into it. Um, it was ever so slightly heavier than I would. Pre- I know it's lighter than a gas-powered tool, but it, you know, I'm I'm wee and weak. <laughs> You're also really short, and it's all about like holding it at the same angle. Yeah, I said wee. Yeah, <laughs> weak. Wee. <laughs> um. But even I was able to carry it fairly, fairly well. Um, yeah, it was easy to control, not loud. Yeah, it was fun. I you did like the whole, whole driveway, right? Like yeah. all the way up to the greenhouse? I'd say mm-hmm. like, is that a an eighth of a mile? I have no <laughs> idea. But yeah, I really went at it. I like how instantaneously rewarding it is. Like... The driveway was a mess and full of overgrown grasses and stuff that, like, scraped the bottom of our cars as we drove through it. Mm-hmm. And with, like, I don't know, how long did it take me? Like, 45 minutes or something? Half hour? Sure, 45 minutes to an hour. And with that much work, suddenly, like, it's all better. You can see the progress behind you as you go. I, I'm I'm big on measurable progress. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. When we first looked at the place, we all got a bunch of those little seed pods and uh-huh, stickers, like, stickers yeah. in our feet, and we ended up buying it anyway. Um, <laughs> and we got stickers on every single property we set foot on, I think. I guess we did. Um, but yeah, just to, to say measurable progress is understating it. Aww. It doesn't scrape the bottom of our cars. We can walk around, and we're not going to get the stickers anymore. It's fantastic. Yay. Um, we're getting into that time of year where there are no more wildflowers. I think we're on the very end. Yeah, all the flowers have turned into stickers. Yeah, we're still seeing a few. And if anyone knows anything about these like really late blooming flowers, they seem to shed all their leaves and turn into vines and like turn into these really pretty purple flowers. Um, 
There are so many pretty plants up there. I've just never seen anything like them before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now is the time to start clearing that brush. Uh, we should probably do a whole episode on firescaping sometime. Oh yes, most certainly. We have not really thought too hard about it yet. Well, we've we thought hard about it, but we haven't implemented anything mm-hmm. because... We haven't had the means and <laughs> we haven't, we haven't had, had anything up there to protect. Right, exactly. But it is a wildlife boundary area. Um, it's not national forest, but it's adjacent. You know, we hear more wild animals at night than we hear signs of humanity. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a pretty good chance as it gets hotter and drier that we're going to experience a wildfire in the next few years. Right, at some point for sure. Um, another fun tree fact, manzanitas only germinate in fire. So The fact that we have manzanitas. Yeah. Uh, however... Um, we have some very young manzanitas and we have some very old manzanitas not a lot of middle-aged manzanitas <laughs> we can maybe figure out the frequency based on you know i'm sure you could are. look up the fire history no, on the internet no, no, no. as well that wouldn't be as if fun. you'd rather do it through tree rings then you'd be the my honest guest. way um but we're starting to have some assets that we need to protect and why I'm so keen to build the green uh, the, the dugout, dugout. yeah, because uh, that's really good fire protection. But also, uh, the chainsaw is going to go a long way to helping us create our defensible space. And mm. now we have the good means segue. to do that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so yeah, it became pretty evident once that big tree came down that you know pine was probably a hundred years old that we would need a chainsaw. Yep. Um, we had even talked about getting a gas powered one and I kind of came around to wanting electric, uh, really glad I got the Milwaukee, uh, it came pretty much all set up. I wish that it had come unassembled actually, because I I feel like it's a really simple machine and it's important that you really understand Mm. the forces you're working with and how the tool works. I had a basic understanding of it and I certainly respected it, read the entire manual, but I did kind of take for granted that it came pre-assembled. Uh, so in the morning I started, uh, it was probably, when did we, we just had those two days up there, right? Yeah. Oh my God. So we got my mom all moved into the storage unit, got up to the property, just kind of chilled out the rest of that night, right? Yeah. And then we had one day to work. One full day, one yeah. One full day and then the like next day. Left around noon or something. On the, on the, the third, third day. day. Yeah. So that morning, I kind of got you set up with the weed whacker. Mm-hmm. I um, got my corn oil. You just use regular old vegetable oil yeah. in the chainsaw. Kind of just spent the morning getting to know it on the property. Should um, I be jealous? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I gave Amy a really hard time about the the kind of oil to oh, get. So yeah. in a gas-powered chainsaw, it's a lot heavier, it's really loud. Also, you have to put oil in it, oil for the chain. So not as much of a big deal with a dead, fallen tree, but if you're using a chainsaw on a live tree and you're exposing the cut edge to that oil, that could do some real damage. So since this is an electric tool, it doesn't need petroleum-based oil. They recommend just using vegetable oil. And I find any old kind, um, probably not mineral oil, it's too thin, but you don't have to be too fussy about the viscosity because it's just meant to like drip out as the saw is running. And the really cool thing is the if you fill up the oil reservoir 
and you're using a 12 amp hour battery, the oil lasts as long as the battery. Um, yeah, it's really important if, if you're gonna get a chainsaw to, to really respect the machine and to kind of keep track of this stuff as you're going, because if you're not... Um... Yeah, I probably shouldn't have told my mom that we got a chainsaw. She, <laughs> she has some concerns. Um, I told her you were being meticulously safe, which is true. Yeah, definitely. And again, why I'm a huge fan of electric tools, you let go of that trigger, it stops instantly. Um, you got to know about kickback. It's really just about the front tip of your chainsaw and what that comes in contact with. It's, it's a big wheel and it's moving at about 30 miles per hour. It's pretty quick. So if you imagine going from cutting into a piece of wood or thinking you're cutting into a piece of wood to that thing flying up towards your face at 30 miles an hour um, that's not really enough time to react so you you really got to be aware of this and you still have to to check yourself constantly because the more comfortable you get the more you're going to start yeah no getting laissez-faire with a chainsaw exactly so i'm i'm still at that point of you know ever vigilant always trying to respect it and yeah now we got a chainsaw you you chainsawed through some shit yeah i was really pleased with the amount of wood i got caught up probably um i don't know probably a cord once we process it all i don't know how i mean i've it's heard like that a, term but i don't know how big it is i might be wrong about exactly what a cord is but i would say we've got about four feet by four feet by four feet of wow of cut sizable logs yeah, and that was just trying to process, you know, that's all going to be firewood. That mm -hmm. was to get what we want to use for lumber sure, um, right. into a size. Well, of and you also cut down a tree that was hanging over the driveway that was sort of a collapsing danger. That's right. I did. Another thing you want to be careful with with chainsaws is if you have a dead tree, uh, you want to be really careful about how you fell it because they can be hollow on the inside. This one was pretty recently dead and was just hanging a little too low over our over our driveway. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you want to it try the chainsaw? It makes the crash and then the crack and then the crash. Yeah. It makes the, the sounds that you imagine the cutting down a tree with the chainsaw should make. It is kind of cool that you don't cut all the way through. You make your felling cut. You make a little wedge on the downhill side or where you want it to fall. And then you let gravity be your bro. Yeah. And on the back side, you cut through and then you just stop when you're like an inch away from the end and you casually like step back as you hear it. You walk away with your saw. <laughs> then you let gravity be your bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any desire to use the chainsaw? I mean, not really. I should have a like crash... Not a crash course, a very a slash course. safe and uh, stationary course. Um, Gash course. Just in case I need it in a safety situation. Sure. If for some reason I'm alone and a tree falls over the road and I need to cut it to get out or, you know, just whatever. Yeah. Um, I should probably learn how to use it, but I don't really have too much interest in using it, I wouldn't say. No. On a day-to-day -day basis no. in your daily life. Um, but then there is another tool that we're thinking about getting, but it's yeah, been sort of a long time coming slash an ongoing conversation. Might be time to look into getting an excavator for a weekend. Um, yeah, so with um, with our one glorious day on the property, <laughs> we did string trimmer in the morning, chainsaw in the afternoon, and then I had to get some more work done on the dugout. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was busting up rocks and moving dirt 
and to a casual observer, hell, it probably doesn't look much different than the time before. Yeah, the the incremental nature of the progress has been kind of disappointing. And not that it it's not your fault at all. We've only been able to spend a couple of days at a time. And it is a giant fucking project. And this is it's so a, many rocks and yeah, so much dirt. It's a learning curve. And, you know, when I think about homesteaders, early settlers, like they had to do all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, they had all it's day, every day. They weren't going technically up on possible, the, yes. Yeah, they weren't just going up on the weekends. But I, right. I really imagine in my mind, where I do most of my imagining, <laughs> that... Yeah, I'd go up a few weekends and, and really get that thing dug out. Just move the rocks out of my way for now, deal with those later, move the dirt up the hill. Um, and for me, you know, this whole thing is is about our carbon footprint. Right. Um, or at least having an awareness of it and trying to minimize that, trying to slow down and put a little more value on, you know, human labor, what you can do with your hands and with your heart rather than machines, especially yep. if that means, you know, literally stealing oxygen from the atmosphere from other people um, by, you know, burning gas to get the job done faster. Mm -hmm. um, I'm definitely willing to bust my ass, work really hard, dig out, but I'm finding if we have to drive to the tune of 20 gallons... Right. For a weekend when I can move a cubic yard of dirt. Right. For me, it's about balancing that carbon footprint versus realistic expectations for moving large volumes of earth. And if we need to burn 20 gallons of gas just to get up there, just for me to dig out another cubic yard right. of the dugout, maybe it's worth that weekend couple thousand dollars. You said like 500 a day. Yeah, it Did sounds like the renting itself isn't that much. It's like 200 to 500 a day. But when you factor in delivery, that's when it starts getting the a lot more expensive. expensive and huh? we are a bit remote. Not super, super remote, but kind of remote. So it's, I think, I think that's, where it's gonna, that's where it's going to add up. Well, we're accessible, but where is the thing coming from? It's probably not coming from Mariposa. Probably not. Maybe from Merced. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, I'm anticipating that that's going to be where the... The most of the cost comes. I've certainly seen the videos, uh, you know, other homesteaders on YouTube out there who get the excavator and yeah. even, you know, environmentally minded. Most of the minded. other ones yeah. we've seen use excavators, which I suppose we should have understood as a, <laughs> a mm -hmm. sign that we should do it too. But. You just got to be pragmatic about it. It's, it's good to have that vision of, you know, carbon neutrality. Um, but in our case, you know, it's, it's actually more, it's better... <laughs> For our carbon footprint right. to get the excavator for one weekend really plan it out and make the most of those those big cuts and moving earth around we're talking septic we're talking catchment we're talking mm -hmm. everything that you're saying we take out we got to put somewhere else so that means impoundment that means a lower reservoir and an upper reservoir um and maybe we start the road up to the higher part up to the upper yeah, meadow by we need moving to, some of that dirt with the excavator. If we're going to get an excavator, we have to really start thinking about where all we need to use it and do it all in one go. Cause, For sure. Yeah, otherwise we're just wasting money to get it a second time. But that's a lot of long-term planning when what we have right now is a greenhouse and 
like a tenth of a hole. But now it's totally <laughs> the time right now. because we've got it. We've been there so many times now and agonized every angle and how much space yeah. we need between that really we know where it's going to go. So we need to spend one more weekend flagging shit out. Mm-hmm. And then when we've got that excavator, we can really go to town. Yeah. And I mean... It'll certainly create measurable progress, and you know how I love that. That's so. your jam. It'll commit us to a direction. Yeah. It'll be some damage, which is going to be really hard for my mom to see, mm-hmm. um, to see that clear out. But that means a really strong foothold, and she's worked so hard at removing poison oak that you know when we get to finally have some of these excavated areas that we get to seed fresh with whatever we want, um, that will also be measurable progress that yep. I think will be good for her to see. I mean, I appreciate the goals of wanting to work with the landscape as much as possible and keep it as natural and as is as possible. But, I mean, I think it's okay to take a put a bit of a stamp on it and to make it into what we want. It's our land. That's mm-hmm. the magic of it. We've never, ever been able to, like, just think about that. It's just like a giant sandbox, you know? Yeah. It's exciting. It's really cool. Um, so, so, yeah, that would yeah. be a big tool. It would be a big tool. A big tool. A very big tool. We'd have to rent it from the man, probably. Well, a man or woman, um, anyway. Probably. You know what? It would probably be a whole... I mean, or- I don't think the, like, police are going to rent it to us. We could rent it from the police, but you know what? I bet it's going to be, it's not just going to be a man or a woman, you know? It's probably going to be a whole conspiracy. It's probably going to be an organization of five to ten individuals all collaborating. You know, maybe they have, like, their headquarters or something where they keep, they're, like, hoarding all of Are these. Are we going to get an Antifa excavator? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Um... Yeah, or just, you know, a small small tool rental company nearby. That's a front for Antifa. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that all we... That's all I got. Is that all you got? Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for being our friends. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't know we were going.